Hi, everyone. My guest today is Johnny Bowden, nutritional expert who makes it so easy to understand and differentiate if we're going vegan, if we're keto, but also he's written an incredible book called The Cholesterol Myth, and he drills down not only about what is cholesterol, 13 types, but what type of test should we be asking for or someone that we care about and really what that means. And the other thing I loved about this conversation was we get into, yes, movement and nutrition, but what are all the elements that really feed into good health and happiness? Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hello, Ma. Push the earth away, Gabby. First of all, uh, Johnny Bowden, thank you for coming to my home. No. And you're my first in live um, in several months. I was fortunate enough to do one in live in Hawaii, but that was it. Mm -hmm. um, but what we're talking about, it, uh, and we can finish it, is we're talking about Dr. Lustig. Mm -hmm. And um, he has a new group he's working with, and I hope I don't botch it. It's... Uh, eat real or real food. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And what they're working with now is um, uh, school lunches. Best nutritional advice ever. Yes. Eat real food. That's yeah. it. That's my, the three words that sum up my yeah. entire 30 years of yeah, nutritional so, wisdom. So, okay. So I, you know, obviously I always get prepared and I do my homework and I, I and for me it's, it's um, what I've decided when I have these conversations with people is I always, I try to approach this like I was a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and how I want to try to explain it to people, even if it's the most high tech information or most scientific information, because I feel like, you know, sort of Ben Greenfield or some other people have elements of this totally covered. And for me, it's it's reminding people in a really simple way how they can make these changes. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing my homework on you, um, and obviously it's a space, you know, it's like preaching to the choir is I feel like. I was like, I'm going to talk to Johnny like I just want to go through the diagnostics. Like I was like, he, I thought we could cover a lot of ground mm -hmm. in a lot of different areas mm -hmm. because you have quite a lot of experience, you know, communicating quickly. We were just saying how, you know, you travel around the country, you have to do the, you do these morning shows and it's like, okay, you've got two and a half minutes to tell me why mm -hmm. I need to do six of these things. Yeah. And I feel like you, <laughs> you do that very well. So um, first you. of all, I, I want to just understand you're from New York. I am. And born and raised. You are, before it was <clears throat> popular, mm -hmm. you, you're, this is, you know, people are not talking about health or food or vitamin D or things like that. What, how'd you get the bug? I was a professional musician and I came out of the sex, drugs and rock and roll era of Woodstock and I looked like and behaved like and acted exactly like whatever your worst image of a jazz musician from those eras were. I was addicted to heroin, cocaine, alcohol. I was fat. Um, I left that behind at some point around 1980, and I started working on Broadway shows. And what you, In what capacity? As a conductor and pianist. Oh, and amazing. So I was a pianist. I did a lot of jazz. I did a lot of groups in New York. And, and you know, everybody was addicted. It was sort of the thing to do. Uh, and I came out of that and I started doing more of the pop-type shows like Little Shop of Horrors and Joseph and the Amazing Texas, the ones that didn't require a big classical background. Um, and we did lots of road companies. And it got real boring. You'd get to these cities and you'd set up and the shows were great, but you had the whole day to do whatever with, and the actors, it was their job to stay in shape. 
And so they all worked with weights. And if we were living somewhere in a house, they'd have all their equipment. Or if we were in hotels, we'd, they'd know where the gyms were. And out of boredom, you know, I was always fascinated with this. How do you do these things and stay in shape now that I'm not, you know, drinking and doing drugs? It might be nice to lose this belly. And I asked them to show me how to do an exercise or two. And it literally started like that. And I just got bitten by the bug. I saw my body change. I looked then, if you saw me then in pictures, which I don't have any of, I looked 20 years older than I look now. And this was like 1982. Yeah. and I started recapturing energy that I hadn't had before and clarity. And I, being a New York Jew who was an overachieving academic, it was like, well, I've got to get a degree. I wonder if I can get a degree in this stuff. Um, and I, over time, decided to become a personal trainer. Not professionally. I thought it would look great on the playbill. Like if people read, like you just told me about Robert Lustig, he went to law school. In addition, I figured if I'm reading my bio in a Broadway playbill and it says, and he's also a certified trainer, that would just sound so cool. So I decided to get that. And that just made me love it more. I I did one certification. I wound up with six, all of the big ones, uh, ACSM, NASM, ACE. And... um, I was doing, I was in between shows, and I was in New York, in my hometown, 1990, walking down Amsterdam Avenue, there's a big sign that says, this new gym, it looked so cool, and it was just opening, and they said, hiring trainers, and it was Equinox. Mm-hmm. So I walk in, and I go, I'm a certified person, I've never worked with a client, but I've been in a lot, of, now I've been doing this for a year or two now, and I've got the certifications, and I'm really loving it, and I bonded with those owners, the Ericos. They're yeah. still around. They actually yeah. live near here, a couple of them, and, um, or Lavinia does. And um, we just, they hired me with no experience. And I was about 40 then, 42. So you're a fully formed adult. I was a had, fully formed that's adult. That's had other lives and other skill sets. And other skill set and career. And um, It's ballsy. Yeah, but it, I was not the only one. There are so many health gurus. I'm using quotes if you can uh, but but people in the field who came to this to heal their own stuff. Yeah. And it was a second career. And I was one of those. And because I had gone to college, I had a master's in psychology, I was well-spoken. The personal training field at that time, 1990, the bar was low. If you could speak in sentences, like they send you out to be the media representative. So I did a lot of speaking on behalf of Equinox. Um, I was always a writer. From second grade, that was my talent. I was in special writing classes. When I was a musician, I wrote about music. Now I started writing about health. One of my clients was the editor-in-chief at Fitness Magazine. She brought me over. I became a contributing editor. I started writing. And I got my first book deal out of that. And it was published right after 9-11, so there was no one in the world who read it. But it definitely started uh, a full-time career in writing and teaching about nutrition and health. Now, for many years, I was still a trainer, and all I knew about nutrition is what we had been taught by the American Dietetic Association. Mm-hmm. So I was a true believer in low-fat diets. I was that guy in 1990. I'm telling you, if yeah. I'd order a well, that egg was like wa- the Pritikin. It was too. the heyday of that. Yeah, and we all bought it, lock, stock, and barrel, high carb, low fat. Um, and if people weren't losing weight on that, we figured they were cheating. And that's what, and, and mea culpa on that. We all thought, no one would think that our advice was boneheadedly wrong. Right. And <clears throat> when I began to start to look into this a little bit more, it actually happened because some of our clients wanted to go on Atkins. 
And they'd come in and they'd say, you know, this stuff, it's just not working for me. I'm not, but I have a neighbor who went on Atkins. They lost all this weight. And we'd freak out. We'd say, you can't do that. This guy's a quack. He said, you might lose some weight. Uh, you know, so you'd lose weight if you shot cocaine right. in the morning. But right. that doesn't make it healthy. You can't do this. You'll get a heart attack. And they didn't get heart attacks. They actually came back frequently looking better, their abdominal body fat had, had shrunk and their eyes looked clearer and they were getting more fit. And in psychology, there's a term called cognitive dissonance, which means that two things, a square and a round peg can't fit in the same hole. They, either one is true or the other. And when people have these two conflicting pieces of information, they do something, they have to reconcile it. They have to make one of them, one of them is either wrong or they have to find a way to. Yeah. And I had the cognitive dissonance. We had been taught that eating fat makes you, uh, gives you a heart attack, it makes you fat, that eating cholesterol, oh my God, well, that's the worst. Remember coming out of margarine. Oh, margarine was invented out of this yeah. BS. And um, we were taught all of that. And yet here are people going on this high-fat diet of Atkins, this guy that the medical profession considered a pariah, and they're not, that's not happening. So one of these things has yeah. to be not true. And it caused me to start to think a little more clearly about if it's not true, then what the dietary, regula the dietary recommendations of the last decades avoid saturated fat, don't eat fat at all, but definitely don't eat saturated fat, don't eat animal products, eat a lot. All of those dietary recommendations are based on the fear that these things cause heart disease. Yeah. If that's not true, and it's appearing to me that it's not, at least in my limited caseload here, yeah. then the dietary guidelines crumble like a house of cards. As soon as I began to question this, everybody began to question my credentials. Like, I was teaching this stuff, and they were going, he's brilliant, he knows all this stuff about low-fat diets and he's nutrition, and I was head of the Equinox Fitness Training Institute. We taught the trainers mm -hmm. on how to, we got them certified, but that was the model for how a lot of gyms train their trainers now. And nobody had a problem with my credentials until I said, you know, I'm not so sure about this saturated fat thing. And they go, oh, he's not even a doctor, he's not even a nutritionist, he's just a trainer. And that's when I went they back to school. They turn on you quick, don't no, they? Oh, they turn me? on you like that <laughs> if you don't do the party line. But when you're doing the party line, you're, nobody's looking at you. Yeah. So I did what a lot of people who get frustrated with that was I went and got the letters. And then I came back and said, guess what? You're all wrong. I think it's... And now I've got the, you know, now I have the letters. Well, it's swung all around. I think, you know what's interesting, though? This is important just for anyone now. You know, talking about the party line, now young people, you know, you're, you're an adult I'm an adult. We got to grow up where only the people in our immediate vicinity could criticize us and give us a hard time. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you were 25 or 27 coming up right now or even younger mm -hmm. and you sort of think, okay, well, the whole party line is saying X, mm -hmm. but what I'm experiencing or what I'm seeing is Y, mm -hmm. even just the, the idea to remind people to to question things. And I, and I always think when it comes to health, you know, even this idea of even between you and I, fundamentally, we do believe the same things, but you still need to understand your point of view just enough so you know what's best still for you. Absolutely. This has been my, my mantra for 30 years that I've been doing this, that you must cater everything to the individual. And I, my favorite book in graduate school 
was called, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. It was basically, don't follow girls, don't follow programs, including my own, just ask the right questions. Learn, if that's my goal as an educator, is to get people to ask the more intelligent questions, because you can't get the right information if you're asking the wrong questions. That's right. And I think it's even okay for people, like there's going to be people who cannot create energy quickly, convert you know, energy from right. even high-level animal protein they can't, the skinniest person may not be able to convert, you know, because they, I think they equate someone who burns a lot with a thinner person versus how do you create, convert calories. And some person, some people can't get through veg, you know, vegetables or leafy greens as well as someone else and mm-hmm. things like that. So I, huge I always, individual difference is huge. Yeah. And it's, and even in times, like what we could, maybe what I could get away with 10 years ago, I don't do now. Maybe I won't be doing in 10 years, something I'm doing 100%. now. And I just, you know, I appreciate that sort of flexible message. I think it's the only message. I think all the other messages are inherently flawed because they are based on the idea that we're all the same. Right. And and <laughs> well, and let's not forget industry. You know, and I'm I'm not a conspiracist, but there's just way too much evidence of you know people's interests. Uh, you know, and they converge. Yes, they so do. It may not and, be a conspiracy, but that, it's yeah. in their interest. Yeah, it's like, oh, I really like it that mm. you. So I thought maybe what we could do is literally, I I have really chunked out, and I would love to get your take. And you know, I want to remind people, this is sort of, you know, down the middle. And everybody, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule and things like that, but sort of overall what we're seeing in certain things. So I want to start with cholesterol. um, And I did read uh, your latest book, uh, The Great Cholesterol Myth. And people get really upset. You know, they get so upset about cholesterol and heart disease. I've gone to a lecture actually with Dr. Robert Lustig by the American Heart Disease. And he basically said, listen, there's no science that connects heart disease with high cholesterol. And so let's start. Uh, and and isn't are, that amazing? People are amazed to find that out. And Just absolutely But amazed. imagine if you took a medication for 15 years and you'd be like, oh, thanks, guys. You know, like, Welcome so I understand that. to my world. That. I talk about this is all a, a 100%. I play tennis with guys who are all on this medication. Yeah. And I say, how old are you? I play tennis, by the way, with 12-year-olds and 87-year-olds. The entire gamut. No kidding. And some of the older guys are all on these medications. Yeah. Some of them are in their 70s. The data is crystal clear that even if you believe in statins, they don't do anything for you after you're 75. And these doctors just give them out. Yeah. They say, do you have symptoms? Well, you know, my aches and pains and stuff. You think that might be? Nah, no, the doctor says it's not. Yeah, of course. And, and that is, there's actually studies that we, that we uh, quote in the book, uh, Beatrice Golem at Stanford, who actually surveyed this and found that 65% of doctors don't report the adverse effects. And the reason is they have been so well marketed by the pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. that they don't think it's related to statins. So, for example, somebody comes in and says, you know, doc, ever since you gave me this Crestor, I just, I can't remember my wife's name. Says, don't worry, it's just a little bit of cognitive impairment. It comes with age. Yeah, just accept that because just now... Now you're this age. Yeah, and that's that's really very sad. And the converse of this, by the way, is that people are being undertreated because they're using this cockamamie, old-fashioned, 1963, good and bad cholesterol metric, which just is mind-boggling to me that this test still exists and that there are people still basing prescriptions based on it. And by the way, 
I naturally, since my 20s, um, and sometimes the liver doesn't process cholesterol the same as someone mm-hmm. else, I have very high cholesterol. Oh, yeah. I, well, I always I, have. Can you... I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> I'm okay. I mean, you know, can you break down for me? Because sometimes I think people get confused, like, what's the good, you know, the LDL and the HDL? Maybe you could Happily. just break that down. Yeah. So let me tell you the story of how this was invented. Back in the 60s, before you were born, when Barely. we used to have health fairs, and you'd go, and cholesterol was becoming something that people were aware of, and there'd be someone there with a doctor's lab coat, and they'd, they'd do a little fingerprint and say, oh, Mrs. Jones, your cholesterol is 210. That's very good. And we only had total cholesterol then, right? We didn't really, nobody knew good and bad LDL, HDL, but total. And then after a while in the 60s, they, they got the technology to kind of look a little bit closer at how t- cholesterol travels in the blood. Remember, it cannot travel alone in the blood. It has to be contained in a boat, in a container. And cholesterol is the cargo, the lipoproteins, the boat. And they said, you know, it travels and looks like two different kind of boats. One is big, one's small. Let's, you know, well, this one's a lower density, which means if you put it in a glass of water, it's low density, it'll float, and the high density will sink to the bottom like anything. And they named these two things and looked at what appeared to be the function of them, and they said, well, you know, this is kind of the good one, and this is kind of the bad one. They're not really the same thing. And then you got HDL-LDL, which was an improvement over total, because total is a meaningless, even the most conservative doctors don't, don't look at total anymore. This would be the equivalent. I don't know if you remember the first cell phones, but they looked like a Buick. And you can have these black and white pictures that you can look up on Google of people walking, and they looked so weird because they had to rest on their shoulder. And then we got the smaller phone and the flip phone. And the flip phone just revolutionized. It's like you got this little thing. You had to text. You had to hit it three times to get a number or, or a letter, right? Oh, right. It was a great improvement over the one that you had to rest on your shoulder. The what would you phone. use? Right, what would you use a flip phone in today's world when you have an iPhone 12 Pro or an Android? It's crazy technology. We now know we have nuclear magnetic resonance. We can look under the microscope and see there are 13 different types of cholesterol. There's HDL2, H, I mean 2A, 2B. There's LDL-A, LDL-B, oxidized LDL. There's 13 kinds, and they don't all behave the same way. And we have lab tests that will look at them. Mm. And we're using good and bad? Right. This is like diagnosing people based on short and tall. Right. It's a metric, useful. We've decoded the human genome. You're going to start with, you're going to still use short and tall as a diagnostic category. No one should get a prescription based on HDL and LDL. So if someone walks into the doctor, let's say they're middle-aged and younger and they, and um, the doctor starts them on this process, what type of test and then do they request to get the real information? And is the doctor willing and able to spend the time to read it correctly? Okay, those are two different but very important questions. The test you ask for is the particle test. So all doctors and, and technicians and, and research associates, they all look at lipoproteins as particles. So just think of that as a, synonym, a synonym for particle uh, for lipoprotein. The new tests measure the number of lipoproteins you have in your bloodstream. Now think of it this way. If you're 
you're running a marina and you're trying to prevent accidents for the boats. Do you care about how many towels are in the washroom of the yacht? You care about how many boats are in the water. Because the more boats in the water, the more likelihood somebody's going to bump up against someone else. If you're bouncing in a nightclub, it's easier to manage a small crowd than a large crowd. Because with a large crowd, even the best motivation, somebody's going to spill a drink, step on somebody's foot, and start some fight. The bigger crowds are harder to manage. There are more accidents when there are more cars on the road. Why do we care about whether the, what the car has in its glove compartment? We care about how many cars. That's the test we need to get. And... Interestingly enough, since we're treating people based on this very elementary test that does not tell us that, many people are on statins that don't need to be on. The number of particles is a real risk factor. If you have very high number of particles, regardless of if your HDL and LDL are perfectly normal, that's a risk. And I'm a great example of this because I've had perfect LDL and HDL for all my life. And when I finally got wise to this, I started getting the particle test. And I'm one of the people who was undertreated. I have a very I had a very high particle number, even though my LDL is perfect. Now what do you so what what do you do? You in that go scenario? to a cardiologist who knows what the hell they're doing and yes. knows what you to do to do that and recognizes that as the most important test. I went to the Scripps Clinic in San Diego, the head of the lipid clinic, Douglas Terman, just absolutely brilliant, looked at it, said, Okay, we can bring those particles down. They're not care they don't care about LDL, they care about yeah, the particles. particles. And also the size of the particles tells us a lot. There are big ones and the big ones are more like big fluffy. Did you have more of one? I the had the bad pattern. I had more of the little nasty ones. Why are they sneaky and get places? The What's smaller their deal? ones are more atherogenic. They are. They can mm -hmm. slip into places they don't belong. They can take residence. Then they get oxidized and inflamed. Then you get plaque. And they're they're just they're the nastier particles. The yeah. little the little BB gun ones. But the big ones are like fluffy cotton balls. They don't get stuck anywhere. They don't do much damage. You gotta know that. You can't just look at good and bad. It's just an antiquated flip phone of today's technology when it comes to, to looking at real risk factors. And if we could move from, at some point, move from just the cholesterol thing to yeah. look at what we found when we did the research for the revised edition of cholesterol yes. is a risk factor that's much bigger than cholesterol, even when you measure it correctly. Wait, before and, you leave me. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> where, what did you do to treat your um, high particle count? Um, I, I got more strict about my high fat diet Mm -hmm. Meaning, I I was la I got lazy because my weight is under control. I got lazy. Yeah. I was eating more pizza, more. I was going okay. I'm pretty much low carb, but what the heck? Here's the I was getting sloppy, and yeah. the pandemic a came loose, a little loose, a little loose. Yeah, I get it. And when the pandemic came, oddly, it helped me get back on track because everybody was buying out all the junk food and like what was left was the olives, the nuts, the fruits. We didn't have any shortage of those things. So you just cleaned up your, tightened I up your diet. I cleaned up the diet and I went to this wonderful cardiologist who said, you don't want to go, we're, not, we're going to try to do this without statins. I have yeah. a lot of cardiologists in my network because of my stuff. And um, I got different pieces of, even one of them, very much on our side of the fence, said, you know, this might be a case where five milligrams of statin might work. Another one said, I want you to try a quarter cup of olive oil for three months every day before you go to the statins, which I do to I know, this that day. Kicks your, you just put it on salad? I can drink it. I, a good oh. tasting olive oil I can do out You've of the bottle. You've done a liver it's flush so before? Good. Oh, yeah. Oh, with but, grapefruit? Whoa. But, it's, but it's, it's such a medicinal food that people... So the cardiologist um, oh, that's gave me six supplements okay. to add to my already extends I take 50 things a day but I guess you don't think that's crazy because I can see you right but I take a lot and he added six 
I added them in, and I got retested a year later. It had the pattern had shifted from the bad one where it's mostly yeah, the, the, the big puffy it's right guys. On, it's on the you know, big puffy guys. Uh-huh. It's right on the cusp now. It's still it's technically a good pattern, but I need further to go. And the particle size came considerably down. So that's an example of treatment that's missed by using this cockamamie old-fashioned HDL-LDL. So let's say someone's listening to this or they, their parent is dealing with this. Maybe they've been in the system a little longer, the medical system. They've already been on statins, what have you. Um, can they go and say to their doctor... I request this type of test. They, they absolutely can. I've told many of my friends who are caught with these old-fashioned yeah. doctors who say, no, this is, you've got to be on a statin. I said, would you at least ask for the test that tells you whether you need yeah. to be on a statin or not? And if doctors, you know, listen, these are busy people, and we're not ragging on doctors, but it's not about what they think or want. It's what's good for you. And so I think people are intimidated by doctors. They don't want to bother the doctor. It's like, you know, take either, I always say, a pushy friend or one of your you know, someone, your own advocate who can go, hey, I'd like to get them the particle test or whatever. So I think that's important. So we'll slide over to when you really started looking at it. Really, there were other culprits, though, to cholesterol that are more important. And I'm not saying that this isn't a player. No, but I'm I not think saying it's a, the measured properly. Right. It's very valuable information, but it's one risk factor. And we forget with risk factors that they are they're kind of like astrology. It's like, if you don't do anything, this is where things are going to head, but you've got this huge area you can do something mm-hmm. about. They're not fait accomplis. They're not your destiny. They're risk factors. This increases the risk a little, but I'm doing 10 things that decrease the risk a little. What's the net Yeah, it's like risk? epigenetics in it's, a way. It's like, turn it off, turn it on. What switch do you, are you trying to hit? Yes, you know? yes. So what... What, uh, in your, you know, when you're investigating this, what do you go, okay, this is important, but something over here we really need to something pay attention that, to. Something that, that I believe, I, I, with such a passion, you know, I've done a lot of book tours. I wrote 15 books. I've done a million of these things, and we promote the books, and of course we believe in the information, but we also want to sell books, all of that. Mm-hmm. This is the most, this book tour that I've done on this book has been, um, fueled by a passion I have not felt before because I am so sure that this risk factor, which shows up 10 years before heart disease, we are missing it, we're not looking at it, and it is reversible with diet and fasting, and it's called, if you don't know what it is, I will explain it, it's called insulin resistance. Your audience already knows what this is, right? No, I'm, but it's it's not about that. This is showing up over and over. Over and, and over and over. And may I point out, we wrote a book, The Great Cholesterol Myth, where we said, you know what? Insulin resistance is the main culprit. This is the predictor. Same three-month period, Jason Fung, one of my great colleagues, tremendous, the guru of intermittent fasting, comes out with a book called The Cancer Code. says, you know what? Insulin resistance is showing up a lot with cancer. Then another guy comes out with a book called Why We Get Sick. You should have him on, Thomas Berkman. And it's basically like a unified field theory of disease, like chronic Mm. disease taken as a whole. First chapter, insulin resistance. And then when COVID came out, I began looking and going, insulin resistance, we know is, nobody denies, is part of diabetes and pre-diabetes. We see diabetes as pre-heart disease. This is one long path. And if you look at it from from the helicopter view, it starts with that and it goes right through. They're calling Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. Why? Insulin resistance. So I thought to myself, all of these conditions that are pre um, existing conditions for COVID that they're talking about, 
diabetes, obesity, high blood pressure, all of them. And then I thought to myself, well, what about the lung, liver, and kidney disease? Those are pre-existing. And I started doing a morning's worth of research in the National Institute of Health Library on PubMed. Every one of them has a statistically significant link to insulin resistance. And you can reverse insulin resistance with diet and, and lifestyle and a little fasting, a little exercise. You can do that without a drug. Okay, let me let's let's go there because I was thinking about this when I was going to talk to you. You know, sometimes saying no to certain things that you want to eat um, is uncomfortable. Ext- exercising maybe when you don't want to, especially with all the daily distractions that we have available to us, but it takes effort. Um, what have you seen? Because there is real information out there, and it does get spelled out for people. What is it? in your experience that keeps people from being able to make the changes? Is it their environment? Is it, I've even thought about it this way. I'm like, some of these people are so far behind the health eight ball. It's almost like you're sick in a way that you can't emotionally or mentally in that physical way. I'm talking about your chemistry, get to this decision-making. What have you seen where it's like, listen, I'm going to spell it out to you. I'm going to show you proof time and time again, that it works. Why is it that people, they can't get there? It's a very complex and brilliant question, and I don't know that... I was just that, curious, because I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I think change, I mean, drawing on my background in psychology and mixing it with my experience in nutrition and trying to change people's is the change is very difficult. And it's difficult whether it means growing up, whether it means changing some aspect of your relationship, your relationship to food, questioning, you know, accepted beliefs that you have about yourself, your own narrative, the trust you have in authorities, all these things, they all come into play, cultural things. And we are, I, sadly, in a post-truth society. I mean, in the last couple of years, but I mean, you, any version of the truth you want, there is a portal in which you can hear that echo chamber and that exists not only in politics but in nutrition. The vegans talk to the vegans and the carnivores talk to the carnivores and everybody thinks that they're right and nobody is hearing the other people and that's a kind of endemic thing in society right now that exists with politics and it really exists with nutrition. So as an educator in that milieu, knowing that everybody, you know, you're one verb away from like (laughs) a debate that you will never like win, um, I try to find what do people agree on? What could we all agree on? And there are some basic tiny little things that like even the vegans and the carnivores, even the extreme right and the extreme left, of, in, you can get some areas of agreement. And that's what I try to focus on so that we don't get into the partisan politics of nutrition. Yeah. And the thing you can focus on that just about everybody agrees on is that sugar is a poison and we should eat real food. Yeah. And the rest of it is details. You want to go yeah. keto, you can eat mostly real fat. You want to go vegan, then you can eat mostly real foods that grow. Yeah. And, 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 and let's talk about vegan for a second. Because I think... Um, you know, the thing that You're going to get hate mail from no, me. No, I'm no, just no, telling not you because I... No, not at all. I'm not vegan, a friend to the... Vegan or... I, I, I don't care. Vegan or vegetarian, the only thing that people really do have to be mindful of is supplementing with foods that are packaged as vegan, but when you really break down what's in them, they usually are very high in sugar or um, the wrong kinds of fat. So I'm only bringing that up... Just to remind people, just because the word vegan is put on it, that has nothing to do with food. Nothing. And so I think what I have seen also many times is that whether you are keto or vegan, 
that most of the people that eat real food, they live pretty much side by side. Mm -hmm. They're eating the same oils. They're snacking on the same things like nuts and whatever. You know, they're eating lots of vegetables and, you know, drinking more water and trying not to. So I think that actually when people are saying, okay, philosophically, we can agree, scientifically, we can agree that the only thing that separates them, obviously, is that if people decide to eat animal protein and, you know, we always encourage people to eat high quality protein and you don't need that much. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing, right? Like the way I grew up with was the animal protein was like the center of the plate and then you kind of splashed you know, one starch and one vegetable on the side. And obviously that shifted where no one's going to argue that green leafy vegetables, unless it kicks your butt in digestion, Mm -hmm. um, is not a great idea. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's something I've seen where the other stuff, I'm not quite sure why everybody gets so up in arms about it because the real science has made it very clear about real food. Yes, but but here's the thing. I, I would take one 10-degree departure from what you just said. When we were tra- when I was a trainer at Equinox, we had a group that we used to call Twinkie Vegetarians, and they were... Oh, now you are going to get me hate mail. Go no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, it's possible to follow a vegetarian or vegan diet and eat junk food. So these were yes. kids who were well, saying, that's what I, was saying. I won't eat anything with, that had a face on it. Yeah. So they're eating Twinkies, pasta, and Cheerios. Yes. So it's important to know that that's not the spirit of the vegan diet is to just avoid animal products. It's also what you are eating. What you described is a wonderful vegan diet with whole foods and rich foods and good fats and all of that. Just don't eat animal protein, but... And they need to Look supplement and vitamin. Uh, many. I'll go give yeah, you the list. Yeah, There's let's a do list. that because I want to support people to eat in any which way that Me makes them feel too. good. Me too. I just don't want people to eat the vegan pizza at Whole Foods and think they're eating healthy. I looked at, first of all, I don't know if you've ever eaten the vegan pizza at Whole I, Foods, but it's inedible. Well, you're a New Yorker, first of all. Ugh. So let's, I mean, you know, that probably goes, flies in the face of like a small religion for you. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying, if you look at the ingredients, they're, they're not healthy. And, and so don't, what you said, I'm just underlying, don't take the label. And this doesn't just go to vegans. I see crappy food in the store that says, now with omega-3s. Yes, organic. Yeah, please. I mean, you got to look beyond that marketing because they will take, for example, omega-3s, one of the greatest supplements in the world, couldn't be a bigger fan. Yep. You need two to three grams a day. They will put five milligrams in there and then they put it on the label now with omega-3s hoping that you will it's called greenwashing that when you have that three seconds to make a buying decision that yeah. it, it kind of gives it the patina uh, the, the patina of health and and yeah. wholesomeness well and i think it's a bummer too because people are busy and stressed out and i think covid has brought on sort of this awareness of health and you go i because i've been in the market many times and i see people making an effort mm-hmm. And you go, you're so close mm-hmm. because you're here and you're looking and you're making an effort, but it's still not good for you. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I think that this is re- really important. M- maybe we could um, also, let's let's talk about the vitamins. So if someone is eating vegan and they're eating whole real food, is w- what should they supplement with? I would say go. the vegan society in Europe is a very, you know, they're, they're a very reputable organization. They have a list, and I always use this as an argument when people say, oh, a vegan diet is perfectly healthy, it's just great. And why does a vegan society give you a list of 10 to 12 things you should be supplementing with? The, the point is not, um, I, I always approach arguments, which I get into about this. I don't anymore, but I used to. 
Before uh, you knew better. Well, I, I learned my lesson. It's, there were really there were two types I have found of, of reasons for being vegan. One is an honest emotional reaction yeah. to animals or to living things. And I'm such a dog lover and an animal lover. I'm one of you in that regard. And I understand the dilemma. So there are people who just can't do it for that reason. I never argue with them. That's like arguing with religion. It's, it's your feeling, you believe that, no problem. The, the ones I argue with are the ones who come in with data and they show me the China study and they show me these things that I can decimate. And they go, look, this study says this and it's, more, it's healthier and they live. That I can argue with because there's science on that. But I never argue with someone no. whose just soul can't receive, they just can't do it, then just eat healthy. Um, so it's not an argument I like to get into. It's, it's, it's really more, I think, emotional than it is yeah. a scientific argument. Yeah, but I think it's also supporting them where they are. So if they, if they sort of could take certain supplements that would just only support them greater, what would some of them be? Certainly B12. Mm-hmm. And, and it, there's vegan propaganda out there that there's B12 in the plant. It isn't. It's an analog. It doesn't behave the same way. It's not the same thing you needed. Same thing with iron. There is iron in spinach. Love spinach. It's not the same iron. Heme iron comes from beef. It's better absorbed. I mean, there, so I would probably say iron, uh, if you're a premenopausal woman or uh, not a man, um, I don't like iron supplements for men because we have no way to get rid of iron. Yeah. A lot, of, Most, iron a lot of men are high in iron. Yeah, so you don't want that. That's no. a real risk factor. Um, zinc, I believe, is one of them. I haven't looked into all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, omega-3s that are found in plant foods are not quite the same as the ones that are found in animal foods. The ones that are found in animal foods, are kind of they directly affect the brain and the heart. And the ones that are in, in plant foods have to be transformed into those. So mm-hmm. if you don't want to eat the animal-formed omega-3s, you've got to really double up on the plant ones. You can't take the same amount and think is it's going to do the same good. Is there one, like an algae-based one There now, is. Right? That is a new one. There is an algae-based DHA. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. It's not EPA, but it's DHA, one of the two fatty acids that are found in fish. Okay. And that is, that is better, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's easy for me to talk about and want to share with you Laird Superfood and our products that we have because it's something that started in my kitchen with my husband, Laird Hamilton, about six years ago. It started with our organic coffees and creamers. They're vegan. We've got turmeric flavored, original unsweetened if you're trying to avoid sugars, cacao if you're like me and I want that chocolate. We've got Peruvian coffee. It's organic, high altitude, low acidic, but we've also expanded our line. We've got things like greens, hydrate products, and something I'm really excited about that's new, a rest and renew product for those of you like me who have a hard time sleeping, or we've got an immune boosting uh, product that you can just put in your water, very easy to just take on the go. All the ingredients you can read, they make sense, and we've got a great offer for you today. All you have to do at checkout is punch in Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y, 2021, all one word, and you'll save 20% at LairdSuperfood.com. So talking about vitamins, you know, when you, when you talk about, because I really appreciate that you have a whole message, you talk about sleep, you're really into snoring. You want to really help people with their snoring. <laughs> I had to, I did a couple of TV spots. No, I love it though. Yeah. But I think um, you know a lot of that is is men tend to snore more than women. Right? Yeah, I I, I talk in, not just in the Great Cholesterol Myth, but I, I fully a, I was going to say a third of the book, The Great Cholesterol Myth, is about what we call the other stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And I do not think this other stuff gets enough traction when we talk about health. And I'm talking about your sleep, yeah. your digestion, your relationships, your relationship with your community, whether you volunteer, whether you're engaged in anything that is uh, t- takes the attention off yourself. Outside and puts of it, yourself, yeah. um, How much sun you get. Uh, all of these things are absolutely connected to your hormonal health, your uh, mental health, your physical processes. We talked about this off air, how, how the stresses of life and the things you obsess about and the things that you put psychic energy on have a direct connection to your gut. And actually, the, I mean, the gut and the brain talk to each other all the time. There's, there's more serotonin receptors in the gut than there is in right. the brain. And if we, if we ignored that other stuff, the sleeping and the digestion and, the, um, and all the other things that go with it, we really shortchange these, these diet and exercise programs that just look at how many calories you burn on the Stairmaster and what you eat. They're just very short-sighted. They're not looking at overall health. I, and, think, I think what you're saying is, is really the most important thing because people get so fixated on, especially on weight, let's just say, which I understand, okay? But it, then they go, well, then the solution is I will join a gym or you know walk my block and I'm going to go on a quote diet, which we know that word alone will just kick your ass yeah. and you'll fail. Yeah. Versus like, you know, what I am eating. You know, I used to say, oh, it's not that I I can't eat that. I just don't eat that. Mm-hmm. I can eat whatever I want. Um, but the deeper I've gotten into all of this in the last 25 years myself is when I am stressed out. I'm I'm that's when I'm bloated. And I know the difference because mm-hmm. I've been in tune enough with mm-hmm. my body. I've trained my whole life. And it's like, oh, yeah. Or when I'm, you know, feeling if I'm having anxiety about one of my children, that's when I physically start to break down. So these other things that you're talking about, people, it's almost like a can of worms you don't want to deal with because it is complex. Relationships are complex. If we have childhood issues or traumas, this is complex. If our life is not realized the way we wanted it. Mm -hmm. It didn't, we had dreams and it didn't happen that way, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. I think all of this actually impacts our health. And so yet we're sort of going, well, I'm eating good and I'm exercising, but I'm still not getting these benefits. I think your point is, is that's the bigger first conversation. I don't know how you package that, sell that, market that. Neither do I. But it's what I do one-on-one and what I write about all the time. And whenever I get a chance to speak or be on a podcast, I bring it up because I think it is really one of the most central things. People, I have found, don't really give that much of a hoot about making a million dollars. What they care about is the feeling they think they will get from that. Mm. They don't actually, if you really scrape down, they don't care about the weight loss. They care about the feeling they think they will get, the being more attractive, being more desirable, being more in the world, it's the feelings that they're after. So I always say, when I'm in a position where I can offer this, is why don't we work on those at the same time as we're working on the weight? So you don't have to wait for the weight or the perfect, whatever it is that you're waiting to be perfect, to have that happiness enjoyed. Let's look at what things promote that, and maybe we can work on those simultaneously. I always, when I was in private practice, which I'm not anymore, I used to have people do what we called a wellness wheel, where they looked at 
various aspects of their life. Spirituality, if you and, and you can define that many different ways. Mm-hmm. You can be an atheist and, and have be spiritual. Um, their community, their relationships, their sleep, the digestion. Oh yes, their weight, a couple things. And they would rate where they are as far as where they want to go. And then you'd look at it a couple months later and maybe the weight moved a little. Mm-hmm. But when you saw the other things and how many things had changed there, you go, oh, you know, something's going on here. I just was only focused on the scale. Right. And, and I think that's important. I think that's important. You know, Laird always says that they're all spokes in a tire. Yes. And he goes, so if one spoke's off, the wheel doesn't go yes, correctly. And he's, he, right. he's like, what you watch and what you read and how you talk, all <sighs> these things, yes. right? I couldn't agree. I knew there was a reason I liked it. No, it's 100% true. <laughs> but I think people takes up don't... psychic space actually has an impact on your life. It does. What and you... it's mindfulness. What you're doing, too, by asking them to go on that flywheel. Because mm-hmm. I really appreciate that versus buckets. I used to look at things as grids buckets, yeah. and buckets. Yeah, I get it. But you can't keep the buckets even. It's yeah. just not, it's like, oh, well, I put two chips in there and three chips. Oh, no, I'm off. And I got no chips in that one bucket. Versus when you have a flywheel, it's like, well, today I spent more time working or um, my exercise was great today. And that flywheel, I love that. everything's feeding I love it. That. It's from a very... Um, I don't know, I'm stealing it from you. <laughs> no, no, I'll send you the book. It was written for somebody. I mean, actually, Jeff Bezos put it in and had somebody, and I forgive me, I will find out. Somebody wrote a book whose concept and what, what this is is about how everything feeds everything. So not the bucket system, but the flywheel system. Mm, I like so when that. I read this, I was like, that makes way more sense because some days, you know what? I know on days like today, for example, if I'm going to be working a couple of do a couple of shows, I'm probably not going to spend as much time with my family. But I already know that. But I was with them yesterday. Flywheel. It's like it's I love the flywheel. It. I right? love that. And so um, if it makes is, so much sense, is everything feeding everything? But the other thing I think is important about what you're saying is when you say to people, "Okay, we're going to attack your your weight or the scale," you're going to be forced to check in mm-hmm. because I think I think it's important. And people go, oh, "Do you meditate? Do you do this?" And I'm like, "I don't. Not not too much." I, do, I sometimes have a breathing practice that I'll do with Laird, but even that, you know, I, I'm sort of like a person who's like, I have things to do, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm always aware and checking in like, oh, I need to have a real honest conversation with somebody over here. How do I feel about that? It makes me uncomfortable. Okay. But I need to do that. How is my behavior? How are my thoughts? And the other thing is, is that people think all of these other things are going to make them happy. And I don't, I just don't think that's the case. I think it's either there for us. And I'm not saying that there aren't people going through incredibly hard times. That's not what I'm saying. But I think all of these destinations that we've put up, mm-hmm. not only are they unrealistic, they don't match our lives. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's what they, what they believe it to be once mm-hmm. you got there. And that it's like you're saying, if you could do so it right true. now, mm-hmm. like having, having, a meaningful meal with a friend, mm-hmm. um, having a good night's sleep, mm-hmm. you know, eating eating food that gives you energy, taking a walk that made you huff and puff a little bit, whatever it is. It's like people don't realize and they, they undervalue mm-hmm. that. They think it's like, I need a fancy car and I need the big, you know, it's like that's not ever going to do it. I can, t- I can tell you, I'll play the age card, <laughs> you know, I'm probably a little older than... Um, you see that more and more as you get older, if, if you're looking, if you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. There's data showing that older people are happier. Why does that happen? I believe, and no one really knows, but some theories exist, and one of them is that 
you get better at knowing what battles to choose, mm-hmm. what battles to pick, and which things really matter. You get into a headset that, that they call essentialism. You, what is really essential in your life? And I think a lot of people who were paying attention and not killed by the pandemic actually had some glimmers of insight about this. So like, what's really important here? And how do I make that happen? Um, I, have, I live in a relatively small artist's cottage in Woodland Hills. Mm-hmm. And I, I have friends who have incredible houses. And I have come to realize they are gorgeous, but I wouldn't be that much happier with a bigger car or more expensive car. I can afford any car that there is. I, none of them would make me any happier than the one that I have. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're it, not sexy and fun. No. I'm and not saying... A, it means that you if, you have, if you carry some of that happiness with you and you see how much it can be self-generated, you realize how free you are of the circumstances for it. I'm not saying that you can live in... You can be tortured, but even in the, in the concentration camps, there was literature that came out of there it said that even in this tiny space where we nothing have any control over whatsoever, we can find little moments of joy, little moments of meaning. And, and that ability to generate that is so powerful. And it, in, it makes you a little independent of all the things you think that you need to be happy. I don't yeah. need that many things to be happy. That is one of the great achievements of my older years is that I don't need that many things to be happy. And the fact is, I know that about people 30 years younger than me, they just don't know it yet. Yeah. I think that's also pursuit, right? I think you come, you bust out of your house, you're 18, you're 21. You, you, you sort of have to have that thrust to kind of push you into the world Mm -hmm. to go get and do. And it's a scary world. So I understand how, why it's sort of there. And it's also what gets us looking for water, you know, many years ago and what's over that hill and things like that. But I think it's, it's an interesting thing where I've always felt like I really want to have a deeply rooted life. Mm -hmm but expansive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean necessarily get more, mm-hmm. but I, maybe I, continue to learn. I understand. So. You know, expansive in our thoughts. I think the other thing that's interesting for me personally is I always say my kids have brought me this next opportunity um, where I, I sort of realized I could have set up a little bit like concrete mm-hmm. in my early 40s. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then your kids come along and either you ob- oblige getting smashed by them, and they sort of go, let me introduce you to the way that the world is versus the way that the world was to me. Mm. And so then there's this next opportunity to be expansive. That's why I like it when I see people of all different ages spending time together because the older people are teaching the younger people things and the younger people are introducing new ideas mm-hmm. to the older people mm-hmm. and, you know, to that exchange yeah. that I think is is really a, a really uh, helpful it's mm-hmm. so helpful to go through life. So let's let's talk about some of the other um, things. Um, you have a few basic vitamins that you think are pretty important for I people do. to take. I have four. Mm-hmm. Four that I mean, I periodically get asked because it's confusing. It is confusing. So I, I there are four that as a as we talked about earlier, my my entire career has been based about individualizing concepts that may be very good, but that you want to be able to tweak to make you to work for you. So as, as that, 
I really don't believe in a standard nutrition supplementation program for everybody. Everything's been about, like, what issues do you have? What do we need? What are you willing to take? What's the, when, what do yeah. I have to work with? You're going to take wait, three Wait, what's things? the pill drop-off? After three, it's like an 80% drop-off? Enormous. So right? I, I have three or four. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, that, that are, and I found that even though everybody differs tremendously, are you pregnant? Are you stressed? Are you 30? Are you 60? Are, you know, there's a million variables. These four have such return on investment, and almost everybody doesn't get enough. So those are my three go-to, and they are vitamin D, fish oil, and magnesium. And I throw in a multiple as the fourth because I'm afraid that people don't get zinc and selenium, and they're in every multiple, plus some other stuff you probably don't get. So a multiple is good insurance. But the three ones that I recommend for everybody are vitamin D every single day, magnesium every single day, and fish oil. So... Also, can we talk about absorption? Because yeah. I think people really feel like, how could somebody figure out, you know, the absorption level or rate of certain kinds of, because again, they make the effort, they spend the money, but maybe they were not buying products that the body's absorbing. Do we know of a place that people could figure out high, you know, brands that we can tr- kind of trust? I, I have... Um I buy from dispensaries online that are authorized to sell what we used to call doctor brands. Oh, They're yes. ones mm-hmm. that aren't, you would know all of them, yep. Designs for Health, Vital Nutrients, Standard Product. I mean, you know, all the stuff that you don't get at CVS. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I have something on the website on how to join one of those dispensaries. Perfect. But that's where I, I don't push any brands, but I like them to be bought from one of the two authorized Sounds dispensaries. Sounds better, too. Well-made You're buying your pulse- vitamins from yeah. dispensaries. I like that. And they're, they're really companies that, they're, they're artists and companies that have been around forever. They don't send to sell generally to the general public. When they're on Amazon, the companies don't like it. They're not selling it. They're sold by brokers. They could be expired. So these doctor brands are really the, the best. But you can't really, you have to, this comes back to what I call citizen scientists. We are experimenters with this stuff. There is not, I'm teaching fasting now, and I tell people, we don't have one human study. There isn't one that said, these people fasted 16 hours, but these fasted 14. Let's see who did better. That doesn't exist. So we're all kind of citizen scientists who are experimenting with these things and coming back to the message boards and to the communities and saying, this is what I found. You know, I get nauseous when I fast, but I found that if I take a little apple cider vinegar in some water, bingo, it's gone. Well, I'm going to try that. Right. I don't need a double-blind study for that. You know, my, my great nutrition mentor, the late, great Robert Crayon, used to say, the New York City Fire Department doesn't have a single double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled study that shows that water puts out fire. But you know what? They noticed that it works. So right. they're not waiting for the study. Right. You know, so sometimes we, we, we don't want to get too um, into our own perceptions because that's why we have science, to see what's objective and what can be measured independent of your own particular reactions and what the baggage you bring to situations that makes you observe it a certain way. That's interesting, but it's not necessarily... We need science. Right. But we have gone so overboard yeah. with our worshipping of science that it's become more like scientism rather than science, like the religion of science. I don't believe it unless I see a randomized uh, controlled study and we won't look in front of us and see our own experience. And, and we need to restore the honor of that experience to our computations about what's good and what's bad. It's not all about randomized, double-blind, controlled studies. Right. And you, for men, you've said uh, maybe vitamin K. Is that right? Am I, am I Vitamin K2 okay, is K2. essential to be taken with vitamin D. I didn't mention it separately because I always use uh, vitamin D 
products that already have K2 in them. Got it. Okay. So K2 works with vitamin D as a kind of traffic cop to make sure that the calcium stays in the bones and doesn't go into the arteries. You need vitamin K2, but I don't put it as a separate because people don't want to take a million things, and there's a lot of really good, high-quality vitamin D products that contain K2. Look for those. Perfect. Yeah. So can we get into the oils a little bit? Sure. I'd love to talk about the oils. You know, I think, I'm going to, this is like confession. So I have no (laughs) rules for eating with my children as far as, because I don't want, you know, obviously a lot of stuff isn't in my house, but I don't want to put voodoo around anything because I don't want them to have issues later. Obviously we cook a certain way. They know, I mean, they're over it. You know, my one daughter's like, don't tell me this is gluten-free, you know, like she'll go to eat something or, you know, whatever. Um, but I bought these chips that were made for, they say on the front of the bag, avocado oil. Really? Yeah. It's like amazing. Okay, great. Avocado oil. Good for high heat, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I looked at the back, but Mm -hmm. of course it was at home and it had, um, sunflower oil. Yeah. So, you know, nobody wants to hear it. It's always the best tasting stuff. I just think it's really important if people stick to it and, and you also, and I'm, I'm fascinated. I want to get into this. You know, for high heat, avocado is better, and then you have coconut. A lot of people, coconut, especially, and I always say to people too, you, if you're ever feeling like you need to use, go to the bathroom, um, you know, you put a little coconut oil in things, and that can really help you. And then avocado oil, but, you know, trying even to find the good stuff, mm-hmm. unfiltered, cold-pressed, all these things. But you you even like, um, and maybe you could just explain uh, you talk about Malaysian palm, palm oil. oil. Oh, I love Malaysian palm oil. Because it's loaded in... Um, not Tocotrienols. The yeah. Tocotrienols, they're really good for the brain. It's part of vitamin E. But it has a bad rap. Can you, it has can a we, terrible right, rap. So can we, can we decipher what's... Uh, yeah. Uh, well, let me, let me back up and just give, me, give you the overview great. that I have for, for oils. Um, next to sugar, vegetable oil is probably the most inflammatory and unhealthy thing in our diet, and it's one of the things that's been promoted the most voraciously by the health establishment. Polyunsaturated fats, safflower oil, soybean oil, canola oil, these are horrible oils. That said, I don't think we should be so obsessive that if we see a tiny bit of safflower oil in something that we really love, it's not the end of the world. What I would like to do is take all that stuff out of people's kitchens. Stop cooking with it. Stop making that be your oil of choice. If something has a little bit of it and you're eating a drop, it's not the end of the world. But these are very pro-inflammatory oils. These are not the good, healthy oils. And this is part of what we we started talking about, which is the demonization of saturated fat. So that talk about like a confluence of influences. So when we demonize saturated fat, the food industry said, we got all this runoff from these crappy, from this corn. We could, we could sell this stuff as an alternative to saturated fat. And that's exactly what happened. <clears throat> so you have two of the most popular oils, canola and corn are, are 92% GMO to begin with. Um, safflower is terrible oil. Sunflower, these are very, and because they contain mostly omega-6. Now, there are two essential fats in the human body that we need, omega-3 and omega-6. One is a anti-inflammatory, one's pro-inflammatory, and interestingly enough, we need both because the healing process, when you get a temperature, if you, let's say you get a, a, a prick on your skin from a, a thorn, and, and 
it I swells you were up. Like as a visitor, I was like, I've had a few of those. A visitor, and well, anything. It, what happens? The area swells up. Yeah. The white blood cells surround the area. They're trying to prevent the invasion of a microbe or an infection and stuff. That's part. That inflammation is part of the healing process. You need an inflammatory army in your body and an anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Problem is, they need to be funded one to one. You need about a one to one relationship in your diet. And if you're funding that army with supplements, we got to do. Equally, we are funding, and the research is very clear on this, 16 times more omega-6 than omega-3. No wonder inflammation is a silent killer. No wonder it was put on the cover of Time magazine as a silent because this all contributes to inflammation. So we want oils that don't, and that brings me back to Malaysian palm oil, which, yes, it's a saturated fat, and guess what? It's not inflammatory. It's Mm -hmm. neutral at best, at, at worst. Right. And it, at best, kind of beneficial because the reason it's red is carotenoids and tocotrienols, which are very protective to the brain. So we want oils like almond oil you mentioned, or I mean avocado oil. They have higher heat. They stand up to higher heat. Mm-hmm. Um, coconut oil has medium-chain triglycerides. Right. More importantly, it has lauric acid, which is antiviral and antimicrobial. That's the main fat in coconut oil. Um, these are, these are good fats that were wrongly demonized. And I wrote a book back in 2016 called Smart Fat with Dr. Stephen Masley. And mm-hmm. what, we, what we begged for, here's the 15, you don't have to buy the book, here's the 15 second summary. Stop dividing fat into, an, there's good fat and bad fat. They don't divide according to animal versus vegetable. They don't divide according to saturated versus unsaturated. They divide according to toxic versus non-toxic. And the toxic fats are the ones that are reheated in restaurants. So you fry up something, cools it overnight, they fry it up the next day. You are making cancerous carcinogens out of doing that. And then they change the oil once a week. I don't care if you started with canola oil or you started with whatever you, it's turned into a toxic waste dump. Mm -hmm. And... We need to look at what fats are toxic to our systems in terms of inflammation and which toxins are friendly to our system mm-hmm. because they don't stimulate inflammation. And that's the division. And it does not break down into saturated versus unsaturated. Palm oil is a saturated fat. It's very good for you. Coconut oil is considered a saturated fat. It's very good for you. And oils like avocado and almond, these are nut oils. They are omega-9s. Um, Olive oil, all good. You just don't want that preponderance of omega-6s in your diet because it contributes too much to inflammation, plus the fact that all of those vegetable oils are so processed that if there was anything good in them to begin with, right. it's gone. Right. I, I mean, you make it very, very clear, which I, I really appreciate. Now, you have a, opinions about skin, Taking care of your skin. I do. Keeping hydrated. Yes. It's an, I, I your, mean, your, I, your, your tire, I like it, has a lot of spokes in it. My tire has yeah, a lot of spokes. A lot of spokes. I think the spokes that I have, if I were, you know, have the food and the exercise part, of course it's a foundation. But I think yeah. the main spokes are my relationship with Michelle, my relationship with her kids, my relationship with my tennis community, the fact that you know I play tennis with these amazing people every single day of my yeah. life for two hours and all of those networks, my dog. But the know. but the thing is is that you can you can focus on that because you've you've accepted and and agree that, yes, I, if I eat a certain way, and you, you're done with that battle, and I know I need to move. The problem is, is that people haven't even created the understanding that the importance of that. So now you, you, you've been moved on to kind of really get to dive deeper into these other areas. Because in a way, if you think about it, food is essential, um, and, and obviously so is movement, but there's a kind of, I don't want to say the superficial component of that, mm-hmm. of health. Yeah. 
because what you what we start what you're talking about these are the deeper practices that um, you have to first real like already accept the fact that you're going to find a way to move around and eat real food. Yeah, y- and you've graduated through that, so you can drill down on this. But you say that um, you know you're you protect your skin, you keep your skin hydrated, moist, things like that. I, I do. Mean, I'm fin- my, Michelle always jokes when we go on vacation, I take more products than she does. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so funny. You know, Laird doesn't wear sunblock at all. Really? No, he's 57. He lives out in... Are you the, kidding me? No, he lives out in the ocean. But <laughs> people, he's like, what sunblock? Because for him, first of all, it burns his eyes, but then most of it until more recently was toxic. So he's like, I'm not going to absorb that stuff. Um, Let me make a case for that. As okay. crazy as it sounds, I want to hear. I want to hear. Um, and I, again, no science on this, but yeah. there, I, I listen to the, the chatter of people I respect, and and, yeah. and there is a lot of talk about whether or not some of these things are less necessary. If you're loaded with antioxidants and you're loaded with anti-inflammatories and you're eating nothing but real food, some of the things that we do may be overstated. And I think he's probably a great example because he, he looks amazing. He's certainly he's 57. Yeah, he's That's a beast. Scary. But also, like they do, there are foods like cruciferous. Certain foods that they have said have a natural sunblock. I think to them. that's true. I've read that. I can't tell you the science now, on it, but I've read that. If you're a red-haired Irish person, please, I understand. Yeah. Like you need to not be in the sun at noon. I get it. I but get it. Laird is also of Greek descent. But it is interesting. He is, is very, very particular um, about that. Now, f- I'm just curious, personally, you know, as, as I, I mean, I'm 51, as like you move through life and you realize like, oh, you, you know, the years that you have and both of us are in a space of, of talking about self-care and um, at times maybe it feels youth-oriented, Mm-hmm. You know, like when I was in sports and what have you, for you personally, just in your inner chatter, mm-hmm. I'm just curious no, tell me. how you sort of keep refining your place in this space. Because I, I think people, like you said, they create a narrative of like, well, you know, it's just I'm this age or that. I think it's, how do you, how do you keep that at bay? And do you ever some days go, oh, geez, I wonder how long I can do this? I don't wonder it in quite that way, but okay. I, I well, understand. Well, I'm a female the co- too, right? Do, well, no, I <laughs> no, I'm just saying. No, you know, I get like it. The, I, get, I get it. The brains. T- totally, I, I get that. Um, I had a I, from a long time a struggle with that because um, I was working with actors, I was working with glamorous people. I'm at Equinox. I'm one of the head trainers. They're sending me out to celebrity clients, and I'm. Forty, and I'm thinking, you know, all the trainers are twenty, and I had for years I wouldn't tell my age. I didn't think I was successful enough to, mm-hmm. uh, for the age that I was, I was supposed to be. So I experienced all of that, lying about the age, all of those things. And I, I think I was in a seminar with Jack Canfield once. You know him, the Chicken Soup for the Self, really yeah. wonderful motivation. A week of this, and we were talking about things, and. Um, I mentioned, I was talking about something. He asked me how old I was. And at the time, I think I was maybe 57. And I said that. And the the audience looked around and they said, you're not telling people that? Mm. Are you crazy? So I'm 74 on my last birthday. I'll be 75 next time. I tell people all the time now. And it actually gets their attention. And they go, wait a minute. Let me pay a little more attention. He's 75 and he's talking like that. And he has, um, okay, let me... And it, it works for me. So I no longer, I don't even try to compete with the, 
with the 20 year olds or the 30 year olds or even the four, you know the Jorge Cruises and all the people who have that kind of youthful energy and they're on there I have found that people who like what I have find me <laughs> and I'm more at peace with that I'm I I don't feel comfortable competing in the social media environment I've read enough marketing books and I have enough friends who do it to know that it's a full-time job that I don't like Mm-hmm. And putting your stuff out every minute because people have a four-second attention span. And if you're not in their face a hundred times a day, you're never going to be remembered. I don't care. I mean, I have an audience. I'm very grateful for it. People like you put me on terrific shows like this. I get the word out. And if people want what I have, they find it. And I don't worry about the fact that I'm, I want a life where I can play tennis two hours a day. <laughs> I don't want a life where I put 16 hours a day into social media saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. So I've come to peace with that. I will say, though, um, your social media, you give out a lot of good information. So I do want to still encourage people. Um, what, and I, I actually didn't, you know, look at how often you posted, but I do appreciate that you offer a lot of very Thank you. good content. So I agree with you. You know, it's an interesting conundrum when you weren't raised that way and you're trying to, I always say, how do you capture everything when you're trying to do it? You know, it's probably hard for you to shoot yourself with your GoPro if you're playing tennis with your 12 or 87 year old. Like, I don't like, you know what I mean? Hold on a second, guys. Hold on, hold on. You know, it's like, I don't, I know it's, it is, it is very interesting um, to find the way to, to bridge the worlds a little bit because it is important to be out there. It's important to represent. um, And I'm not saying your age group. It's important to represent your experience. Yeah, I agree. You know, to say, Hey, I had one life. I made a change. I have this new life. What about learning? How do you have, find time? How do you keep learning? Where, do you have, you know, people that you look to? How do you I do, do that? Um, a lot of this, I've always been a lifelong learner. Long after I got my degrees, I continued to take courses and stuff. But now, the entire learning, <laughs> you don't even have to go take courses. Um, a lot during the pandemic changed for me. I, I was really a news junkie. I mean, that was on 24 hours a day, CNN, all of them. Uh, and I, during the pandemic, when I sort of got more strict about my diet, not really even consciously, it was like, okay, this is, I'm going to pick all the foods that I can snack on all day, olives, nuts, cheese, berries, you know, and I got stricter with that. I also uh, began fasting and meditating, which is I've been doing four years. and um, Did you have a practice? Like, are you a TM guy? Or like, I, how'd you learn? I learned through TM. Interesting. I don't always do TM anymore. I'm always so curious, and I know you're not supposed to share what you're, you know. The, it doesn't matter what the what mantra is. I know. It, it, I just, every person process. I know, yeah, I know. It's I'm really, laughing, it doesn't matter. I'm you can like, call it Mary. It doesn't, yeah. it's, it's just, it's a different thing than concentrating on the breath. It's just a word. But right. um, I also, um, but I do some kind of practice every day where I either journal 10 minutes of meditation, um, I read some Seneca, I read some Epictetus, and, 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 and do a half an hour of that kind of work every single day. And one of the things that happened when I really got serious about doing that during the pandemic is that kind of essentialism where you go, you know, what's really important here? And I began, when I started fasting, to realize how liberating it was to not be dependent on food, to actually see, I thought I couldn't live without eating every two hours. I thought I, well, I would die of hunger. And wait a minute, you don't. And you start to see a piece of personal power and liberation from an addiction, which is you know, very similar to me to the liberation of addictions I've had in the past. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I can live without this food, and it, I feel pretty darn good. And 
what else can I live without? Well, the news definitely could go. <laughs> and I realized, you know, I didn't need to listen to all of that. And that opened up hours of podcasting, which I am still reeling from. The, on the way over, I listened to a lecture on synthetic biology and, and the creation of viruses like COVID and what is going on in labs and in the military. I listened, I, I've listened to some of the most incredible interviews with some of the smartest people in the world. And I'm thinking, I've been listening to CNN when I can be listening to this. So that is a, a, a daily thing. I read a lot and I read outside of my field. I have to read to keep up in my field, but I read, um, you know, just all over the place. Um, and, and, and I find that that enriches the experience of working with people on health. I, I've, I did an Instagram live this week where I, I said that actually I think that more than a weight loss coach, more than a nutritionist, I actually wind up being, and I think this is true for every health professional, we're really happiness coaches. Because if you, if you scratch the surface, like I said earlier, why do people want to lose weight? I want to look good for my um, high school reunion. Why? Well, I, I want to look as good as the other people, and I want them to think I'm successful. Why? It always comes down to I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be happy. Why not work on those things now? And that's, that's yeah. what's coming together for me at this point in my life, that I'm understanding what's essential, what makes people happy, what makes me happy, and I try to share that as much as possible. You know, Tim Ferriss who I know you know, the podcaster interviewed all these, you know, masters of industry, Bill Gates and Michael Jordan, I mean, whatever area there were, there were super performers, and he wrote a book about what do they have in common, Tools of Titans, mm -hmm. and you find 80% of them have a ritual, 80% of them exercise, 80% of them eat real food, whatever it is, you find these correlations, and I think those things are very important to notice. Happy people listen better. Happy people spend more time in a conversation other than the four seconds it takes to read the headline of an email. Those are, those are habits that we can form and that we can actually you know, get into and they can really enrich our lives as well as good food. Well, I think the other thing that you display is a sense of purpose. And you know, it's like I, th I think it, people think, well, I don't, what can I do? And I think that sense of purpose is, is really powerful because there's days that, you know, yes, I have a family and I have th obligations, but it's just those few things in my life that give me that purpose that on the days where I'm maybe more gray, I go, okay, I'm going to pull myself up and we're going to get after it again. When you talk about Michelle, the other thing that it seems to me is that um, love feels important to you. Oh, I, are you kidding? I can just see yes. that. When you say her name, I'm like, oh, love's important to And to And Johnny. not only is it important, I mean, I... I once did an experiment. I, I'm not, I can't believe I'm saying this. On a, on a, I asked the guys I played, the older guys I played tennis with, I said, they're all married. How many of you are so madly in love with your wife? Mm -hmm. They all kind of looked like this. And, um, well, my wife's a very good woman. Oh, God, that's okay. like a kiss of death. Well, <laughs> well, we have a, look, we have a good, you know, it's, was there, there wasn't a She was spark. a great mother. <laughs> I am madly in love with my partner, and we're going on 12 years. Mm -hmm. I haven't lost one drop of passion, not one drop of interest. Of course, the relationship has changed. I mean, of course it has. And, you know, but yeah, that's a very, very important thing. And I, it makes me sad that people don't have that in their life. And they think that, oh, I'm, I'm past the age. No, you're not. <laughs> you but know? that's right. I think 
passion, but you have passion for the other things in your life, so you're yes. able to also have passion for your partner. I think it's they all bleed over. You know, I've been with Larry for 25 years. Oh, I and love that. Whenever I see couples that have that energy, I'm I, because you can do too. Probably when you you we're in a minority, the people who are still madly in love with their mates after, and I always recognize it in other couples and in people. I, I'll. Daniel Amen, who you may or may not know, mm -hmm. the, the, the psychiatrist. He's oh, written uh, many, many books and done many PBS specials. I know them. He's so madly in love with them. I recognize it because I can see it, and they are, both of them. And, mm -hmm. and it's a very warm feeling. You, you share a kindred thing, and it's like, yeah, you didn't buy the stuff about how it all has to dissipate after a year. Mm. Yeah. Well, right. you just, and you just have to keep individually working on your own personal happiness. I think that that people think, oh, we're going to live together and then somehow we're going to make each other happy. I don't actually think that's what happens. It I think isn't. it's it your isn't. own personal happiness and hopefully your partner has the same concept because yeah. also you can't be like, hey, listen to me. I need you to go out there and make yourself happy. It's like, that's never going to happen. No. And there are days that, you know, the way in, way in which Laird approaches his life inspires me by his example to be better in my own life. Oh, this is wonderful. true. Right. Yeah. So I'm not saying we can't enhance each other. And certainly I'm here to try to make his life better. That is one of my goals. Um, but I think that if, and it doesn't mean we've had, we haven't had uh, months that we were flat. I always say with there's days like we're dancing, but we're stepping on each other's toes. Oh, that's great. You I'm going like, to use that. You, you, you go like, uh, okay, what would you like for dinner? What do I want for dinner? Like Larry will say that. And I'll be like, yes. What, like, <laughs> it's just like you're glitchy. I know. You know you're just, I I have those days. You know, like, we have those days all me, the time. What's your plan today? And uh. I'm like, in my mind, like, if he asked me one more time what my plan is, <laughs> like, this is it, you, you know? And I'll be like, I don't have a plan today. Yeah. Or like, you want me to tell you what my plan is? You know, so... I get it. It's glitchy. I but, totally and then get flow it. Glitchy. You, you could be like, hey, I'm really aggravated with you, but I want to talk to you. And it's like, okay, no problem. Like, there's days that there, you That's can't right. go wrong. And knowing that is so... It's such a gift when you actually realize that that is the flow. Yeah. You're going to have some days when you really get oh. on each other's and we laugh about yeah. it. And we oh. even recognize it when it's happening. Go, okay, I think this is a good <laughs> yeah. time to... Oh, I just disappear. But that's so wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> and you better have a sense of humor. But I do disappear. Sometimes I see it and I'm like... And I'll turn and kind of hide in my office and he'll be like, Gabby, Gabby, Gabby. <laughs> like, I'm just out of there. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, so, Johnny, I could go on and on, but oh, I, I, I think totally we... talk to you for You did hour. say... I just want to say one thing that I heard you say and I loved it. Gluten um, is either not good for you or neutral, so ultimately... How did you remember that? I, I pay I attention. Like years ago. It's okay. I, I pay attention. Wow. I just, I'm very But impressed. just that I... You it's know, true. And I, and I believe in like having a little in your diet, especially if you can get high quality, because I also think you need to be able to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, you, you have somebody who genuinely has celiacs, which I think there's only like less than 2%, but... You know, uh, it can I, be a real irritant. Like I was telling you about our, yeah. our situation at home. She's totally gluten well, free. That we and she's not doesn't have celiac, but it's still really. It, yeah. you, we can be very sensitive to that the inflammatory pop. But some people, no it's problem. Fun, but it's not good for anybody. Mm, that's it's just right. either neutral or bad. It's just good to point. You know, to remind people of that. Yeah. And um, I think what I think that's it. I mean, I like I said, but I, what I want to ask you is if. You wanted to drop off to someone younger. What what would you encourage them? And let's say these are people who haven't discovered their their set flywheel yet. Like they're mm. just and and so younger and even middle aged. And maybe it's somebody who's even you know closer to our age where they're deep in one way, but that this idea that like today is a new day, mm -hmm. so we could do it different. What sort of um, 
encouragement or suggestion would you give to each of those groups? I think it would depend on what their focus is, what they're trying to achieve. Are they looking to be healthier? Are they looking to lose weight? Are they looking to be happier humans? I mean, the mm -hmm. advice, I think, would be geared to that. And um, I do tell people who I think have a very small probability of changing their diet, like they're just not going to do that, that intermittent fasting might be a good thing to do because you can keep eating. I, I don't like people to do this, but no. you can keep eating that junk and it's better for you if you only eat it eight hours a day instead of, <laughs> instead yeah. of 20. Well, you're being so, realistic. And, and it, there are some benefits to giving your digestive system a rest for a longer period of time, even if you're eating crap. So I mean, that would be my go-to for like the average kid that I'm going to eat these chips no matter what. Could, could you... Could you Maybe yeah. go four hours without eating, yeah. you know. The everything. eating window. The eating window, yeah, if you could change great. that. And then beyond that, just, I mean, my biggest, I guess, advice to everybody in the world about anything when, when I'm asked is to just not believe everything you read and don't believe it just because somebody has a lot of letters after their name. The, the amount of idiotic advice that I have heard coming from MDs and PhDs is staggering. Mm -hmm. And the amount of advice I have heard from people who are self-taught autodidactics is incredible. And I'm not saying that one group is bad and one is the other, but that the, having the degree is not the defining thing that makes what you say truth or not. We, can, you, we can lie with science. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. Do you, <laughs> there's a study for everything. There's um, a study for everything. <laughs> Do you drink alcohol? I don't, but that's because I was addicted to it. Not because I think it's a bad thing. Right. I, I, I don't drink either, but yeah, not, I neither. I stopped in 82. So when you switched over, you switched your lifestyle, d did you have to like hit a rock bottom before you... It was a pretty high bottom. I never went to jail. Yeah, I yeah. never was found, you know, but it was like you just <laughs> unconscious woke up one in the streets. And it was like enough already? It was a lot of people in my life saying it's enough already. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, you know, you start to listen and go, mm, well, if I want... This, that, and the other. I'm, it's not going to go with this. Yeah. Yeah. And when you switched careers, I'm just curious. I was thinking about your parents. Were Were they around? Were they? Yes. Okay. The, and were they like, wow, son, that's a great idea. Like, my mother was a professional singer. She was on Broadway and mm -hmm. she went to Juilliard. And so she was all, the music part was fine. My father was a lawyer. Um, they were happy with both and, and ha was happy as long as I was successful and happy. So I had no resistance on that at all. Amazing. Thank you for your time. Oh, and thank you thank for you all for your work. And, and thank you really for your passion because, you know, there's a lot of people that have all of the same information that you do, but your true zeal for this, your real passion for this comes through. And I think if, you know, it will, it can flip more switches by seeing in you the excitement of vitality and health that you have. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.